This is when we stand for the reading of the word. I invite you to stand. This is our tradition here. I will read a selection of scripture, and when we end, there'll be a prompt for all of us together to respond. The reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1. It's a little letter to a group of Christians, a little tribe of the Jesus movement in the Philippi region, northern part of Greece. This is the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard, that means the emperor's private guard, the whole guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive motives. Others preach with good motives. They're motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of this gospel. The others preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They're insincere. They're hoping to cease and cause me more pain while I'm in prison. What do I think about this? Well, just this, since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad and I'll continue to be glad. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Someone is in jail and it's Jesus' fault. We're not sure if it's a lockdown in an official prison or this is in homebound, locked up. Paul is in someone's house, but what we know is Paul is in jail and it seems to be Jesus' fault. He's now writing a letter to his friends. These would be the friends to whom he, which he traveled, the friends who wrote checks to support his ministry. These are the friends where he stayed up late at night around the table with the candle and talked about big ideas. These are friends who did ministry with Paul. They're not like the people from Corinth, and they're not like the little group from Rome, and they're certainly not like the ones in Galatia, those, those people who were so exclusive. Philippi is a different group of people. Paul writes to them in reading in, first, in Philippians chapter one still, verse 12, brothers and sisters, I want you to know the things that have happened to me have happened for the advance, to advance the gospel. Paul goes on and on and on, but this idea of advancing the gospel, advancing the gospel, advancing the gospel, it's scattered all throughout this letter. He says more and more and more, and then at some point, I don't know if it's melancholy, I don't know if it's depression, Paul says this, I don't know what I prefer, shall I live or shall I die? He's in jail, like he has a choice. I don't know, should I live or should I die? The pastor's locked up, friends. He's not going anywhere and he's locked up, not, not like today where we're locked up for protection or for punishment. He's locked up until they decide if they're gonna execute him or not. This is Paul's story. In verse 16, he says this, I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. All of this is happening because of the gospel. Is this what Jesus meant when Jesus left? Acts, Acts, the book of Acts chapter one was our scripture reading two weeks ago. Jesus tells the disciples in the upper room, stay here, you'll be my witnesses. Is this what Jesus means? 
about the gospel and then expect to go to jail? When Yami Bazan was talking last week about her adventure trying to find herself in this good story, did Yami and Danny end up in jail? I didn't hear that in the story, did you? Is this that same gospel? What, is it the, what gospel puts people in lockup? What kind of gospel is so threatening? Paul has to be put away. What is this particular gospel? I notice that we talk in shorthand when we get to language like this, the gospel, as if we all know what it means. And if you've been raised in the church, you get it. We sing gospel music, right? You like it, don't you? We do gospel preaching. People interview to get a pastor who will do gospel preaching, right? We stand for the reading of the word in the the nine o'clock service when we read our passages from the New Testament. When we're finished, we say, thanks be to God for the gospel. Is this the gospel that has Paul in jail? We talk in shorthand when we reference the gospel. And I wonder if we know actually what we mean. Do we know what Paul means when he says, I'm here because of the gospel? So I'm in Walgreens in Grand Terrace because that's where everything happens. Last week, A group of guys unload from a car, they come into the store and they kind of fan out through all of the aisles. I'm doing my own thing, I turn a corner and I turn another corner and I'm down another aisle and here are two of them standing in the middle of the aisle. And one of these young gentlemen says to me, hey, wouldn't you wanna know if we could tell you about your eternal future? I Simply look. I mean, wouldn't you want to know if there's a place, there's this great church down the hill, and we can tell you about your eternal future. I mean, the world is really abysmal. That's a big word at 10 o'clock at night, by the way. The word is very abysmal. Wouldn't you agree? Who can say no to that, by the way? So I keep listening. Yes, we'd love to take you down the hill because there's this church and they can tell you about the eternal light and how you can escape. Don't you wanna come, aren't you curious? Listen, I'm a morning person, what are you? I'm a morning person. If you ask me at 10 p.m., am I curious about the eternal light? The answer is no. I'm headed home to bed. So I listen, but I'm multitasking because on the other side of the aisle, they've got another customer or two cornered. And I can hear, wouldn't you agree that the world is abysmal? Oh, there's a script. I can hear the customer saying, you know what, actually, we've got a cool church. I mean, I'm pretty happy with my church and my, our pastor, like our pastor wears a beanie and everything. By the way, one day can we talk about that? My church is so cool because my pastor wears a beanie. We got a good band and we're pretty good, we're okay. And the guys continue to press, yes, but I'm no offense, but what if you're in the wrong church? I mean, what if, not everyone knows the secrets and your eternal light is at stake. Now back on aisle nine with the Advil and the NyQuil, they say to me, we'll just take you down the hill. It's a really great church. You wanna come down the hill? Have you ever, 
no, I know the exact church, I tell the guys, I finally say, I know the exact church, I drive by it every day. Oh, then you would wanna come with us. And I say, now I'm just not even mad about it, I say, no, I really just want my NyQual. <laughs> yeah, but you're eternal light. So come with us and we'll introduce you to the pastor, which is when I finally say, I have a pastor, I have one. I mean, I know lots of them. Yeah, but does your pastor know the truths to the eternal light? You wanna know how to clear out a Walgreens at 10 p.m.? You just, just say, I'm a pastor, can you guys knock it off? <laughs> really? This is it? We're gonna talk about the eternal light? Is that the gospel that has Paul in jail, friends? Is that it? Is their challenge that they just can't find the words and so they are trying to work it out on all the rest of us and what the Walgreens store? Is that the gospel that puts people in jail? The gospel. Can you say it, what it is? Can you summarize it? Will Campbell, the author, the activist, the Baptist minister, his friend once challenged him. Now, I'm not very bright. Give me a definition of the gospel. Make it easy and make it in seven words or less. Will Campbell responded to that. We are all dogs and God loves us anyway. To which his friend responds, if you wanna try again, you still got two more words. Is that the gospel that put Paul in jail? We're all dogs, but God loves us anyway. Is that the gospel? This was an assignment for the Christian Century magazine in about the year 2012, the cover invited people to think about it. Can you do the gospel in seven words? And they gave the assignment to theologians and thinkers and people who specialize in words, which is an interesting assignment immediately. If your specialty is the economy of words, give us the gospel in seven words. My favorite is Brueggemann who says, I can give it to you in six, I rest on the seventh. It's Dwight Moody, decades ago now, who says, I can write the gospel on a dime. Is it a seven-word gospel that put the Apostle Paul in jail? Is it a gospel that we can write on the top of a dime that put the Apostle Paul in jail? It's N.T. Wright who pushes back this entire congregation. I can recommend a small volume to you. Simply Good News is the title. And N.T. Wright challenges all of us, when is the last time we thought about the gospel? When is the last time we tried to put words to this gospel? This is the basic element, the basic idea of the Christian faith. How often do we think about it? How often have we freshened up our understanding of the idea of the Christian gospel? It's good news, as he says. From the old English, it is news and it is good. It's a fresh way to say it according to N.T. Wright. It is news, and it's news that is good. He describes it this way. Imagine you're sitting in a cafe, and someone comes bursting through the door and says to you, I have the best news ever. I just can't believe what's happened. I can't wait. You have got to hear this. N.T. Wright says, what kind of news would make you burst through a cafe door and tell a stranger? You just gotta hear this. 
This is the best thing ever. So Wright, in his book, insists on a few more things. This is not a news brief, this is not a news update, and everyone gets back to business as usual. This is news, and it's news that is good, and it's news that changes everything now. He keeps pushing, but when he says it's not good advice, we've seen that slogan on t-shirts. The reason he pushes on that idea is because he says, if it's advice, then it's to tell us how to get something. Well, yes, but Jesus died for our sins and we all need a savior and we all can get to heaven now and isn't that good news? That's good news and it's not necessarily the gospel, N.T. Wright would say. Pick up the book, challenge yourself with this one. He says that's the heaven and the hell summary of the gospel. You know, we have a sin problem, we need to get to hell some way and Jesus entered the story so that we can all have some kind of an eternal future promised for us, the heaven and the hell gospel. It's shocking, he says, that distortion, that idea from the idea of biblical gospel. Very rare will you find Jesus telling a story about how to escape hell so we can live in some eternal heaven for the future. It's a distortion, N.T. Wright suggests. By the Middle Ages, at least, Christianity was talking this way. This was the way we spoke of our faith. The problem is we have an angry God who's not really sure he wants to let us into heaven, and we're trying to figure out how to get into the eternal light, <laughs> the eternal future. Artwork and theologians and thick books, become, this becomes sort of the summary line for the gospel how to secure our future. It's a competing gospel, N.T. Wright says. I think he's right, and it's a distortion of the biblical gospel. I saw a flyer a couple of weeks ago from one of our Adventist high schools, and the tagline on the front with a student, the tagline said, but how do I know I'm gonna make it to heaven? A question that doesn't get answered in the promotional material, but the the marketing would lead you to believe, well, enroll in Adventist high school and maybe you'll get to heaven. But friends, there's lots of reasons to consider Adventist Christian education, but only God takes care of our future. Somebody needs to say amen. Because this is where we have to tell a better story. There are so many reasons to think about Christian education, but not because it promises us heaven. We have to tell a better story, sharpen the story. God provides for the future. I don't know what this is with our personal salvation anxiety. Next week, that's the topic of the sermon. Whatever is happening, it's so much larger than one soul, my soul, or your soul, or a few souls at a time, week by week in God's big story. Whatever is happening, it is personal, but it is not private. Whatever is happening in God's story, it's much larger, N.T. Wright would say. There is a backstory. There's something more that's happened. Something's happened in the past. Something will happen in the future, and we're standing in the middle of this story that everything has changed because of the gospel. Sometimes I wonder if we skip the backstory part of all of this. We know the gospel, we know the story, we know how this all goes, and so we skip the front part. Do you do this with Netflix? Are you one of those people? We're gonna tell the truth this morning. All right, let's imagine we're watching Netflix. This is the first thing you hear, right? 
Oh, we're all together now. Right, you got your popcorn, you got your blanket, everybody's headed to the couch, right? All right, and then we play, and this is what we see. This week, pastry. Pastry, it's got a dark side. It's the heavy metal of all the bacons. The bad boy of baking. How has this happened to me? We'll be fried. Ah. Fired. So scaring the And formed. Yeah, it's not cooked. <sighs> into the most extravagant pies ever to grace the tent. This is about celebration of pastry, and that is not a celebration of pastry. All right. By the way, what's your show right now? I don't know. Are you NCIS? Are you West Winging? Are you Salt? What is the new one? Salt, fat, acid, heat, something like that. What's the show? All right, we're in the Great British Bake Off show, right? What season are we in, by the way? Three, someone says. That was a child. What are you baking in your home? Fantastic, this is where we're going to eat next week. It is not season three. Who are the contestants? What is the topic? I don't know, let's watch a little bit more. Pastry, it is possessed by the devil. You turn your back on it, and it will eat you alive. Pastry's not something I've done a whole lot of. It is quite stressful. It's not something I'm used to. Best of them, though. I like it. Good luck. Smash it. Last week, getting Star Baker, there is always that little fear in the back of my mind that it's like upwards and then a big crash. <laughs> we all started off really jovial and having a laugh, but I think during the challenges now, it's going to get a bit more serious. It's going to get a bit more intense. I do believe in myself, and I know I can go in there and I can produce something good. It's just whether it's good enough. Hello, bakers. Welcome to Pastry Week. Oh, we're on Pastry Week. Now we know a little more, right? We're on Pastry Week, and we have five or six contestants left, and they're feeling really anxious about their yeast doughs, right? They haven't met you over here in the transept yet. All right, we're on, week, we're on Pastry Week, and we've got a few people, and there's some hosts for the show. But you know what we haven't seen yet? What we haven't seen is actually the introduction to the show. Play this next part. Great British baking. Oh, we're going to be in the kitchen. Oh, we're going to be using our hands. We're going to make things. We're going to bake things. We'll probably make mistakes and burn things. We're going to make some friends. There's eggs and flour and berries, and isn't it lovely? And did you see the little message on the right? Skip intro. Are you the skip intro people? Yeah, come on, tell the truth. Why do I need to see the intro? I know that song. I know the show. I know what's coming. Please, if I skip the intro, I can save 33 seconds tonight. I can get in a whole next episode. Are you the skip the intro people? 
because I wonder if this is what we do with our faith story. Skip the intro. I already know the gospel. That wasn't that something we learned downstairs with the little kids. Let me just skip that part of the story. Everybody knows what the gospel is. Let's get to the good part. Like, isn't there a battle in Revelation or something? Friends, I'm kind of with N.T. Wright. Maybe we need to stop ourselves occasionally and remember that there's a backstory that even when someone runs into a cafe and says, I've got the best news, the cancer is cured. There's a backstory. I've got the best news, the baby's been born. Well, we've been pregnant for nine months. I got the best news, my lousy team just won. I'm with NT right on this one. Maybe we have to pause down and pause and slow down and remember and watch the introduction all over again. There is a backstory to what's happening in God's story. It is news and it is good. And something has happened because of which everything else has now changed. And now we enter a new, fresh chapter of waiting with God, of hoping with God, of anticipating with God what is next in God's story. This is the biblical language of good news, and it starts at the beginning of the Bible, and sometimes good news means the messenger who carries the news. But sometimes the good news is actually the subject. The prophet Isaiah says God is actually good news. God keeping God's promises is what good news is. And then the story keeps moving and Jesus enters the story and now Jesus starts talking about this God from the Old Testament. Oh, there's a fresh good news on the lips of Jesus and, and then Jesus is gone and leaves the disciples and here's the apostle Paul and they start to wonder, could it be that Jesus is the good news? Could it be that God came close to us in Jesus? And there's a whole fresh experience. A crucified and risen gets up and walks out of the grave kind of Lord. God is showing us something more is happening. So N.T. Wright insists there's kind of a triple vision to this gospel. Something has happened. Something will happen. And in between where we, you and I are right now, something powerful and mysterious is happening. We're not all waiting for one day beyond the blue. The gospel is alive today. This is the biblical gospel. This is the news in the Bible. The trouble with the news is that it's not good news for everyone. So by the time the apostle Paul is writing his letter to his friends in Philippi, the good news means that Caesar is Lord, Augustus rules, Augustus is gonna come to Rome and rule and there'll be a fresh leader in town. This idea Paul writes about is not good news to everyone. Maybe this is why Paul is in jail. Everything will look different now. I wonder when Paul writes this letter if he's remembering his first trip to Philippi. I wonder if he remembers he didn't want to go there, but the spirit of Jesus told his boat, go that way. I wonder if he remembers when he got out of his boat that Paul and Silas and Luke wander into a marketplace where there's a little slave girl. Is she demon-possessed? Is she a magician? What is she? Yes, she's all of the above. She's marketing mystery and magic and she's exploited by her owners and she makes them a lot of money. 
And she's also very irritating. She takes to Paul and Silas and Lucas as they're wandering around Philippi, and she won't leave them alone like a tag-along little sister. And she's chatty, and she's just irritating, and they turn around and look at her. I wonder if that's when they remember Jesus and a demon-possessed man. And Jesus in the marketplace with a a young woman who needs to be healed, and Jesus whose work is always interrupted. I wonder if in that moment they decide to cast the demon out and they heal her. And all of a sudden the people are angry and Paul and Silas and Luke get thrown in jail and they're chained up and they're in the maximum security section and they're in so much trouble because they freed a slave girl who was making a profit for her traffickers. And they chain them to the wall and what do Paul and Silas do? You know the story in Acts chapter 16. They do what all kinds of prisoners down through the ages do. They sing because they don't know what else to do, they sing. I wonder if Paul is remembering this scene now when he's sent to jail. He remembers, oh, I've been in jail before. Paul and Silas, beaten, stripped, because they were a threat to the city, because they were a threat to capitalism, because they were a threat to slave owners, Is this what got Paul in jail? Is this the gospel that puts people in jail? Is Paul in jail because he taught a heaven and a hell Christianity? Is Paul in jail because he held a cardboard sign that says, for God so loved the world? Is Paul in jail because he's got a megaphone and he's out in the middle of the street like the person I saw last weekend in downtown Portland preaching sin to the crowds? Is Paul in jail because he's got a Bible study on Friday nights in his home? Is he in jail because he goes to a synagogue service on Sabbath? Is Paul in jail because he's interrupted status quo? Paul stood in the marketplace and said, you cannot own children and market them for your own gain. Jesus taught me that. Paul's in jail because of the gospel because he claimed that God is doing something new and Paul is challenging every allegiance and every relationship now as he moves around with this fresh story and the world is shifting. Paul's in jail because of the gospel, this gospel. He's a a threat. Paul now understands that every earthly dilemma you and I face in our relationships and in our homes and in our communities and and at work and the dilemmas that we face in our society and in our nation and in our world, Paul understands all of it is connected, every struggle. This is the backstory. This is what we miss if we skip the intro. The backstory isn't only about you or me, it's about all of us. Again and again, Jesus talked about the reality of heaven shaping earth. Again and again, Paul will talk about the reality of heaven shaping earth today because God, through Jesus, is doing something new. The gospel we teach shapes the church we create. We have said this many times over the last seven years or so. It comes from Robin Myers in his book, The Underground Church. The gospel we teach shapes the church we create. 
And the church we create shapes the gospel that we teach. When is the last time we asked ourselves a fresh question about the gospel? Maybe it's time to tell a better gospel story, church. Maybe we need to check ourselves, stop skipping the intro and the preface and start somewhere else. Maybe you start at the beginning because the beginning really is a good place to start. Tell a better gospel story, church. Because attending worship is not the gospel. And praying the sinner's prayer is not the gospel. And putting our offering in the plate is not the gospel. Please don't stop doing it. (laughs) Getting close to your end. Understanding 28 big ideas is not the gospel. A church and corporate business session on the East Coast this next week is not the gospel. But whatever we create in our corporate meetings this week, statements and ideas and adjustments to policies, it better resemble the gospel. We need to tell a better gospel story. So I don't know if your cool pastor wears a beanie or not. I don't know, you like greeting time or not? You irritated by the drums or not? You, you want cool music or stained glass or a pipe organ? Are you against babies who cry in church and preachers who wear pants? And I don't know what all you care about. That's not the gospel. Tell a better gospel, church. We can be a church of many stories and a church of many values and a church of many opinions and a church of many talents and a church of many priorities. And we will always be a church with one gospel. A few years ago, in 2013, we asked you all what you thought the gospel was. And Jeff McFarland sat right here on the platform with his laptop and all of his applications open and you text messaged in response to the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And as the messages, answers came in, Jeff sat here and created a mosaic for us. In 2013, this is a snapshot of what we thought the gospel was. Turns out the gospel can be defined lots of different ways. Great music, Password to eternal life, outrageous grace, God's plan, hope for the world, peace, making friends with strangers, Christ alone, something good after death. This was 2013. I wonder if we'll do this assignment again sometime soon. We can ask ourselves the question again as a church family, what is the gospel in 2020? There's more than one way to describe it and it might take more than seven words. And we will work our entire lives, I believe, to understand, to receive the gospel of Jesus. When we close in a minute here, listen to the two verses we will sing from Amazing Grace. The first verse understands the singular personal experience Amazing grace that saved someone like me and you and you and you. But listen to the second verse, which also seems to understand that God's story involves you and me and us. And if it 
involves your cancer or your bipolar disorder or the poverty in our homes, if it, if it involves our dying planet, and it must also involve people in a little war-torn region in Turkey and Syria this morning. It is not lost on me that we have a letter to the Philippians, a region not that far from where fresh fighting happens today. A bloody battle. Is the gospel big enough for that too? The Apostle Paul says this to his friends in Philippi, verse 27. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this, whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I only hear about you. Do this, stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to what? Faithful to what? Faithful to humans? Faithful to structures and systems and policies, they're important. Remain faithful to the gospel. That way you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and your courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, your salvation which comes from God. God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ but also of suffering for Christ's sake. This is how to be church in 2020. Tell a better gospel. Amen.